Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music today. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. We are in Philippians chapter 2, the third message from this passage in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And so we're at verse 9, 10, and 11 today. Of course, in this passage, we've taken it in three sections, verses 1 through 4, kind of the introductory remarks that Paul gives us. But verses 5 through 8 that we took last week about the humiliation of Jesus Christ, his suffering and death on the cross. And so in verses 9, 10, and 11, we have the exaltation of Christ, that is, his resurrection and ascension back to the Father's right hand, and even a look ahead then to the time when he comes at his second coming, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess who Jesus is and what he's done. As we look around us today, of course, the world's still in a pretty big mess uh, in a lot of different ways. There is war going on in our world right now, and uh, with our modern uh, technology and everything that we have, it's as if we're right there uh, on the streets, isn't it? And uh, kind of a different uh, thing that the world has ever seen where you can watch the war going on, but we see how horrible it can be also and how destructive it can be. The world is more immoral than it has ever been. Uh, it's, it's almost as if we can't be shocked anymore by what we hear or by what people do, uh, and, and that's a shame. And then just the unbelief, the unbelief that there is a God who is in control, who has his hand on things, who knows what the future holds, uh, that unbelief is, uh, seems everywhere. Well, in verses 9 through 11, we have great promise. Uh, the fact is we have, we have a bright future, a future that God has promised us will come about, and we want to look at that and think about it a little bit today. You know, when Jesus taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, part of your prayer should be this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a time coming when God's will will be done on this earth, nationwide, worldwide, on every knee that bows and every tongue that confesses, uh, he will be Lord of all. That time is yet to come. It has not happened yet, obviously. Uh, the world isn't under that kind of uh, kingdom right now, but it is coming. So what does that mean, that thy kingdom comes and thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, we have different views about that. There are those who believe this is the kingdom of God. We're in the kingdom of God right now. It's kind of a spiritual reign of Jesus from heaven rather than on the earth. And uh, uh, God's will, well, it's done sometimes <laughs> uh, in some places at, uh, uh, when uh, he happens to want it to be done, but it does, isn't always done. That's one view. It, it's called amillennialism, by the way. And a lot of uh, believers throughout the ages have felt like this is the kingdom of God and you better do the best you can. And these kind of promises somehow are happening even today. Then there's another view that, well, we haven't worked hard enough to make it come to pass. Uh, that's more a post-millennial view. That, you know, we, we, need to, we need to get the world up to the place uh, where it deserves to be the kingdom of God. And we're just not working at it hard enough, but we ought to work harder at it. There's always been that kind of view. 
uh, more of a political, social, gospel type of view. But then there is the view that it hasn't happened yet because it hasn't come yet. And uh, Jesus hasn't returned, but he will return to this earth. And when he returns to this earth a second time, he will reign on the earth and he will make the earth what he has promised to make it in all of these things. Would you uh, turn back with me to the Gospel of Luke just real quickly in the very first chapter? In these verses where you have the announcement to Mary about the birth of Christ, you have the announcement to Zacharias about the birth of John the Baptist. Notice what Zacharias says in verse 68 of Luke chapter 1 when he is told that his son will be the forerunner and that Messiah will come immediately after that. He says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, notice being delivered from the hand of all our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness, righteousness before him all the days of our life. Just some of the verses. But you know what uh, we have to notice about that? It's never happened. Those things mentioned in those verses have never come to pass. Unless we spiritualize them, unless we kind of interpret them in a way that is unnatural. But if we take it in the natural way... Uh, <laughs> those things have not happened to this point. And when you read those prophets and all those promises that they said would come to pass, they've not come to pass yet. Interestingly, in 2,000 years of church history, we've had a lot of attempts to make it happen. The Roman Catholic Church itself believes it is the kingdom of God. And uh, when you're baptized as a baby into that church, you're baptized into the kingdom of God. Does that fulfill the promises? I don't think so from that to the Holy Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, in a very awful way, Adolf Hitler believed that his third Reich was the third millennium of the Earth's history. That's what Reich means. And so he was trying to bring in the kingdom of God. He would make peace upon the Earth universally, and his kingdom would last for a thousand years. There have always been people trying to do this. Uh, people trying to bring in a new world order. I remember growing up with the age of Aquarius. Remember those kind of uh, terms? But uh, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses prom promise their kingdom of God. The Mormons have promised their kingdom of God. Islam promises their kingdom of God. None of it has happened. None of it will. <laughs> There's a new thing going on. I read another article about this this week. Uh, that uh, there is a movement called the New Apostolic Reformation, the NAR, by C. Peter Wagner, who started this in the year 2000, who, and they believe that, we, that the apostles, there will be 12 new apostles on the earth in the end times, and they are the apostles, and he's the first one. 
And uh, as soon as all 12 apostles are in place all over the earth, then the kingdom of God can come, but it can't come until then. And so this new apostolic reformation is going on. You might know the name Mike Bickle because of what's called the Kansas City Prophets and IHOP, the International House of Prayer. And that movement going on in our city and around this country uh, believes that it's in the process of establishing the kingdom of God when Bickle is one of those apostles, but when there's 12 of them, then we can have the kingdom of God. So there's, all, <laughs> there's always been attempts at doing this. The, the problem is, as Paul even said, the whole creation still groans <laughs> with labor pains uh, waiting for the real kingdom of God to come. Well, I want you to notice something. As you look at our outline here and you have it uh, before you, uh, I'll just make it a three-part outline from these three verses. I think all creation, the whole world, is waiting for the day when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom. And I think you have three parts of it given to us in these three verses. And so I use the word when. Uh, it is waiting for the day when Christ is exalted and when Christ is praised and when Christ actually reigns on the earth. And so back in verse 9, let me read these three verses again, especially for those of you who just joined us. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, of course that's Christ, and given him a name which is above every name. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and even those under the earth. Verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So first of all, verse 9 speaks of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Now, I call this the invisible aspect. He's at the right hand of the Father, and we don't see him right now. Right now, we have to understand where Jesus is and what he's doing by faith, not by sight. We walk by this faith, not by sight. So highly exalted is a word that is actually in the original language, this is the only place in the New Testament where it's translated, where it's used. And it means the highest exaltation, the word exaltation with the word hyper in front of it, hooper, means the highest exaltation that could ever be. And so here we came at the end of verse 8 to the lowest place for the Son of God to be, and that's on the cross of Calvary, right? And put in that grave. And from that lowest place that God could ever be, he is now highly exalted above everything else at the right hand of the Father. So remember uh, the, the book of Hebrews describes this a number of times. In chapter 8, verse 1, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. That's where Jesus is right now. Chapter 1, verse 3, he said, Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, 
sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so uh, in many ways, uh, he is described as being exalted, even in Acts chapter 3, which I'm going to read in a few minutes, whom the heaven must receive until the restitution of all things. He is there in heaven until the kingdom of God will come. And as long as he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven, he is not on David's throne, and he's not reigning on the earth. But the time of his reigning will come. In reading Warren Wiersbe, I like to read Wiersbe, he said, Our Lord's exaltation began with his resurrection. And when men buried the body of Jesus, that was the last thing any human hands did to him. From that point on, it was God who worked. And so when they put him in the tomb and rolled that stone over the tomb, that was the last thing human beings could do to him. And now he is highly exalted in heaven. There was one rabbi who, amazed at this kind of teaching, that the New Testament would teach this, he said, the dust of earth is on the throne of the majesty on high. The dust of the earth, the body that he took when he became a human being, made from the dust of the earth like all of our bodies, was resurrected bodily and ascended back into heaven bodily and now sits at the right hand of the Father bodily. Isn't that an amazing thought? And folks, our God, God the Son, took upon himself our humanity in a sinless way so that he could save us eternally and will live himself in that body eternally. What great love that is. And no wonder he's exalted then for what he's done. Now, my second thought here under, in verse 9 is that we are his servants then. Now, we're his servants here while he is up there. The kingdom of God has not come yet, and this is, as I said, invisible to us. We don't see him right now. Now, and again, let me make it clear. That's the difference between when the kingdom of God really is on the earth and what we have now. When he is on the earth, he will be sitting in Jerusalem on David's throne, a new Jerusalem with a new temple on David's throne. As a matter of fact, the whole world will be invited to go up to Jerusalem once a year, if not more often, to see the king of kings. But right now, you can't see him. Right now, the kingdom of God has not come. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of what? Things not seen. We walk by faith, but not by sight. 1 Peter 1.8, Whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Uh, you're glad that he's your savior. You're glad that he's exalted to the right hand of the Father. But you haven't seen him, and neither has anyone else. We are waiting for that time. So listen to the, for the words, until. We are now in this situation until that time comes. Hebrews 1.13. To which of the angels said he at any time, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The day is coming when he will make, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ will make the enemies of this world his footstool. 
but he's sitting at the right hand of the Father until that time comes, and the time has not come yet. Peter preached it at Pentecost back in Acts chapter 3. Verse 19 says, when he concluded his message, he said, Repent, therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which was before preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father until these things happen. Now, now is now, and then is then. And when that time comes, uh, it will come. Romans 8 said, with patience we wait for it. We are, we are in the age of grace, and we're probably toward the end of the age of grace. We don't know exactly how long this age will go, when Jesus will come the second time. Of course, we believe that there will be a rapture first, uh, and then a tribulation, and then a glorious return of Jesus to the earth to set up that kingdom. But we don't know when that rapture is going to happen. We don't know when this age of grace is going to come to an end. But I do think this. I think we're seeing the spiritual end of the age of grace. It's pretty obvious that this world is going downhill, not uphill. It's pretty obvious that things are getting worse in the world, not better in the world. And that the sins of, of man are spreading all over this world. You know, sometimes we say to ourselves, can it get any worse than this? You know what the answer to that is? Of course it can. Uh, I remember, you know, when I was a young man hearing prophetic preaching for the first time, and boy, it seemed as though it couldn't, the world can't last another year. Jesus will have to come. It just can't get any worse than this. And now here we are all these years later, and it seems like it can't be another year. The Lord is going to have to come. I, I, in reading the book of Revelation uh, last time, I, I came to that point where the Lord said, all people who receive the mark of the beast in the tribulation period cannot be saved. No, none of them will be saved after that. By the way, you have not received the mark of the beast. No one in this world has at this point. But I thought to myself, why not? Why can't someone then be saved? And even if you have this mark, why can't you repent and be saved? And I think it is because the world will be so filthy and so dirty and so sinful. And this mark, probably something that penetrates your very mind and brain and heart, will make you into such a terrible person, the Holy Spirit just says, I'm done with you. Matter of fact, I'm done with all of you. I think the world will come to such a place that even 2022 will seem like glory days compared to that. I don't think we, we realize yet how bad human beings can get and how bad a world of human beings can get. Now, how long that takes, no one knows. I don't know because the rapture is imminent, meaning it could happen today. It could have happened 20 years ago. But I'm just saying we haven't seen the end of the age of grace yet. So here we are with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. 
we're on this earth. This is an invisible time which, when we don't see him, and we are waiting for his return. It's, it's the hope of the church. We hope that it, it happens, but it hasn't happened yet, and we don't know when, but it will. So number two and number three in my message has to do with the name, the bowing of the knees, and then the declaring that he is Lord. And notice that I have divided this into two thoughts. One is, when he returns, when that day does come, and the Lord returns, then he will be praised, and not only that, but he will be Lord of all, sitting on David's throne. Now, remember that we believe in a rapture, and we believe that the rapture is a silent return. The Lord doesn't come to the earth. He comes in the air, and we go to meet him in the air, and he takes us back to heaven. Now, that rapture is not the, the glorious return of Christ. Seven years after that, he will come out of heaven, and we will come with him. He'll come all the way to the earth, and he will be there on the earth judging putting an end to Armageddon, setting up his kingdom, and he will reign on that earth for a thousand years. That's just basic premillennial pre-tribulationalism. All right? And that's what, that's what we believe. So this I call the places aspect. When he is come, when, when that happens, heaven opens and he comes out of heaven on a white horse, Revelation 19, and he comes all the way and his feet touch on the Mount of Olives, which the Bible says, Zechariah 14, will happen, then the world is going to have to bow the knee to him. This is God returned to the earth. This is the one who judges, and everyone who is lost will be cast into the lake of fire immediately from off the earth. And only those who are saved will remain on the earth. That is a, a pretty amazing day when you think about it. It's hard to even imagine that something had happened. So I say here, Christ at his glorious return, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, whether in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. Has ever a day like that happened? Never. How could it happen? When, when will it happen? Well, we have a quotation here from Isaiah 45, and so if you can, I'm going to ask you to turn back to Isaiah 45 just for a, a brief moment and uh, look at this quotation that we have in Isaiah 45, and we'll begin in verse uh, 22. If you know the book of Isaiah, you also know that everything in Isaiah from chapter 40 to the end of the book uh, is a, a prophecy of the kingdom of God and of what will happen when Jesus reigns on the earth. Verse 22, look to me and be saved all ye ends of the earth. I am God and there is no other. In other words, will your tongue confess that or will it not? I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, surely in the Lord I have my righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall be glorified. 
Now, what do these verses mean and the, and, and the various verses around it? It means that when Jesus Christ comes to this earth, either your tongue has confessed him as Lord and with belief in him, and you will remain in his kingdom, or your tongue will confess he is Lord, but I did not accept him, and you will be cast into the lake of fire. Pretty striking uh, when you think about uh, that that kind of thing is going to happen. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, you have this quoted again. And by the way, let me say, when the rapture happens, and that's what uh, Romans 14 is going to say, say the rapture happened right now. We all are taken up into the sky with the Lord, and we go to what is the first thing we go to? The Bema Seat of Christ. And you stand as saved people at the Bema Seat of Christ. You know what you will do? Your, your knee will bow and your tongue will confess that he is Lord. So listen to Romans 14 and verse 10. Why do you judge your brother then? Why do you show contempt for your brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So when will your time come when your knee bows and your tongue confesses? Well, first of all, it happened at your salvation. When you came to Jesus Christ for your Savior, that's what you did. And if you did not, then you were not saved. Uh, because, of course, Romans 10 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's when you confess. So we are in heaven. We come back with the Lord from heaven on white horses to the earth. And now the people who are on the earth either have to confess that he's Lord or be sent into eternal fire. That's what's happening here. So you and I will bring glory to him. And that's what I say second. The, the saints will bring glory. I'm talking about, of course, in verse 10, when he comes to the earth for the knees to bow and the tongues to confess. And when that time comes, you and I will bring glory to him. In, in the book of, of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, which is uh, over to your right a little ways, but I'll read a few verses to you. Verse 6 says, It is a righteous thing with God to repay tribulation to those who trouble you. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power when he comes, notice, in that day to be glorified in his saints to be admired in all them who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Now, what is it saying there? We come back with him in glory. And because our knee has already bowed to him, our tongue has already confessed to him, we will bring glory to the Lord in his glorious return to the earth. Riding on those white horses, as Revelation 19 says, as Jesus comes back to judge the earth, we come with him and we bring glory to him. The Bible kind of teaches that until then, in this invisible time, the world may curse Christians. The world refuses to hear what Christians have to say. And when that day happens, the world will have to say, 
glory to God and those who are with him. We'll bring glory and honor to him. So this happens when he comes back. I call it the great reset. <laughs> we, we have that expression going on today. Is there going to be a great reset in the earth? Well, there will be some resets, but it's not the great reset. The great reset comes when Jesus Christ returns to this earth and every lost person is removed and every saved person remains. When that time comes, that's a great reset. Let me go to the third verse then, if you will. And this verse is verse 11. Not only will the knees bow, but the tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. He will come to judge the world. And those who are still on the earth are going to have to say he is either Lord in a true believing sense or they're going to have to admit I didn't want to believe him. I've rejected him even though he is Lord. They're all going to confess that. First of all, he sits on David's throne, and I'm going to read to you Matthew 25, 31 and 32. This is his glorious return in glory. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. All nations shall be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. All right, you see the scene. He's coming back from heaven. He comes to the earth. The whole world is either lost or saved. The whole world is sheep or the whole world is goat, one of the two. Now I skip ahead a few verses to verse 37, Matthew 25. Then shall the righteous, that is the sheep, say to him, Lord, when have we seen thee? The righteous will call him Lord. We skip ahead to verse 44. They also on his left, that is the goats, when they see him will say, Lord, why didn't we do this? Everyone will call him Lord. The believers and the unbelievers. From under the earth, from above the earth, and wherever they are. I had a friend in Colorado who was a hunter. He liked to hunt, and when he killed animals, he had them... He had them uh, stuffed, I say, uh, mounted, and uh, he had, he had uh, killed his, uh, his mountain goat and his uh, bighorn sheep. And uh, he brought me into his family room one time, and he looked, and they were on the wall with some other things too. And he said, what do you notice about it? And I said, the, the goats are on the left hand, the sheep are on the right. He said, exactly. <laughs> I put them that way for a purpose. So God separates the goats on his left hand, but they call him Lord. And the sheep on the right, which will go into his kingdom, call him Lord. Everyone will call him Lord in that day. And so the saints reign with him is what we have here. And by the way, uh, let, me, let me finish Luke chapter 1 before I go to that. This is when, uh, back, back in that chapter again, now Gabriel is talking to Mary. And he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Gabriel says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give unto him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob and over his kingdom. There shall be no end. 
That's when he returns to the earth, and that time is coming. So we reign with him. Listen to these verses. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said to the disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He promised to them that they would. And then in Revelation 5, when all of the, the raptured saints are in heaven praising the Lord, you and I, all of us will be there, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue, people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. And here's what we will say and we shall reign on the earth because we've confessed him as our Lord. We will reign on the earth. You know, remember studying Daniel that we studied this last year in, his set, in the 70 weeks of Daniel and how 69 of them have happened, but there's a 70th one yet to come, and that 70th week of Daniel is the tribulation period? Well, we have to wait until that time. We have to wait till that 70th week comes. And then we will be with the Lord, and then we will reign. The rapture's coming, folks, but there's no signs of it. There's no other fulfillment that has to happen until then. I know many people right now are looking for this in the world right now or for this taking place in Russia or Ukraine or Germany or, or wherever, saying, boy, this is the first of it. It's got to happen. You don't know that. And a lot of things have come and gone in these ages uh, the, the, when the rapture happens, it will be without sign. Well, we've, we've covered a lot of uh, eschatological ground in these three verses, if you will. Uh, I want to put this in place of what's yet to happen on this earth. But I want to read one last passage in closing today from Matthew 21. And this applies to us as believers or non-believers. Jesus said to them, Did you ever read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Jesus, of course, is the chief cornerstone. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Now listen to this, verse 44. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Now, would you like to interpret that verse for me? Whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but if the stone falls on you, it'll grind you to powder. What does that mean? What is Jesus talking about in this verse? Here's what I believe he's talking about. You can come to the rock now, but to come to him, you must call him Lord. You must bow the knee. You must be broken, broken in repentance, broken in your view of your ability to save yourself. You must be broken when you come to him and fall on him. Declare him Lord, bow the knee before him. That's how you get saved. And what happens if you don't do that? What happens if you don't take the opportunity to do that? 
There's coming a day when that stone will fall on you. And that stone will grind you to powder. You will be lost forever. You will find yourself in the lake of fire with no hope. And so what is the message? Do you want to confess him with the tongue now and bow the knee before him now while you have time? Or are you going to wait until you have to admit that he's Lord, you have to admit that uh, you should bow to him, but it's too late and it grinds you to powder. It sends you into eternity lost. That's really the message of the New Testament, isn't it? That's the gospel that we preach. While we have time, while we're here and Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and the kingdom has not come yet, you have time to be saved. You have time to repent. Even as believers, folks, we ought to feel the urgency of the gospel here and around the world while people have time to do this because the time is coming when you will not have any more time. Though you have to admit the truth of the gospel, though you have to admit that Jesus is Lord, it's too late and it grinds you to powder. So do the right thing now. If you're within the sound of my voice or somebody's voice preaching the gospel, then bow the knee before him now with your tongue. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, because whosoever shall call on the name of that Lord shall be saved. Stand with me, if you will, as we think about these things and, and uh, ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and burden our hearts about him. Let's pray, and then we'll sing a song together. Father, thank you for these verses. That though Jesus died for our sins, though he, became a, he, he came as low as he could come to save us from our sins, and he did on Calvary's cross, that you've highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And we know, Father, that before this earth is done, every tongue, every knee will have to admit that he's Lord and Savior. Father, we also understand that we only have our lifetime. We only have this, these few years on this earth to admit the right thing and do it in time. So, Father, I pray, uh, even in the tragedies of this world, many people are forced to realize that they need Christ as Savior before they go out into eternity. And I pray, Father, that many would be saved even in this world right now. And wherever the gospel is preached today by faithful men and uh, witnessed to by faithful people, I pray that many would be saved. And Father, thank you for these promises. We look forward to the kingdom of God when righteousness reigns on this earth. Uh, we want it to come. We say with John, even so, come, Lord Jesus, and may your will be done. So bless in these things. Burden our hearts. Father, if there's one that is not saved, may that person be saved today. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our invitation is open as we sing, and when our service closes, you uh, do what the Lord is guiding you to do. Gordon will come and lead us in the song.